episode 16 of the first and foremost sports podcast i am your host the one and only quentin douglas and i'm jimmy covington what's good y'all what's up you know we coming like mj and scotty man how you doing jimmy man i'm doing good bro how you doing pretty good man pretty good i'm hyped up we got some good topics on deck today so man let's get right to it shall we let's go all right, man. So to get us started off, uh, you know, Friday, I believe the news broke that a uh, five-star high school basketball recruit, McCurr Maker, <laughs> committed to the Howard University, the flagship HBCU. Uh, he's the highest ranked recruit to do so since 2007. So, Jimmy, what does this mean for the landscape of college basketball moving forward? Well, hopefully, you know, it'll uh, hopefully it'll send more black athletes to HBCUs, which is something that, you know, the black community has been wanting to happen uh, for many years now. Uh, but just my thinking, I don't know how much is going to change because of the what just happened with the G League thing. And uh, just me thinking about it, if it was me personally with that type of talent, if I knew that I could go to the G League right then and make $300,000, $500,000 and still get endorsements and all that, I probably wouldn't go to college. If I figured I was going to be a one and done, I, I wouldn't go to college. I'd go straight to the G League myself personally. But for the guys that, you know, that aren't going to be one and done, then I, it's a perfect opportunity. You know, there's nothing like HBCU. I mean, personally, I don't go to one. Uh, I wish I could have, but, you know, tuition was a was a big thing for me. But, you know, quite frankly, how it was terrible last year. They were 4-29 and 29 last year. They were 2-13 and 13 at home, 1-14 away. And one of fifteen in conference play, and they are a Division One program. Uh, they had a a new coach. It was a first year coach. It was Kenny Blakeney, who played at Duke from ninety two to ninety five, and he's been an assistant coach since ninety five. So they got a lot of work to do. But you know, just talking about McCurt Maker, he's six foot eleven. He's ranked sixteenth in the ESPN top one hundred prospects list. He's the fourth rated center. Uh, he's six foot eleven, and he goes to Hillcrest Prep in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, he had offers from Auburn, Kentucky, Alabama, Memphis, Oregon, all the big schools. Uh, he's a big guy. He's very mobile, silky smooth jump shot. He's athletic. He's a good rebounder and good shot blocker. But, he had, of course, he has room to grow. Uh, he gets, has a good handle for somebody that's his size. And uh, he can score in the high post and low post. So he's an extremely, you know, extremely promising prospect. And I think he'll definitely make Howard a better school. Better school. You know, the, the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference doesn't get players – of McCurry Maker's caliber every year. And I think he can dominate that conference. Yeah, bro. Uh, I'm right with you. You know, uh, you know, while a majority of the highly ranked players will probably, you know, keep going to the big power five programs, uh, I do think that he's definitely making a step in the right direction with this move. Uh, you know, I think – uh, for most athletes, the reason that they make for not going to these HBCUs is, uh, for one, you know, resources uh, to, you know, training facilities, things of that nature. Uh, then you have coaching, of course. The coaches are going to be, you know, just a step below uh, from those Power 5 programs because, of course, they pay more. 
and as well as exposure, you know, the big programs are automatically going to get the ESPNs, the ABCs, uh, the big-time networks. Uh, so, you know, that's why we've seen really since probably the 60s when black athletes were first permitted to go to these universities that they've kind of slowly just strayed away from that. Uh, but, you know, I think he's definitely going to be a trial run for future recruits. I do think he's going to have to have a dominant season uh, if he's going to want to, you know, keep his draft stock the same or, you know, try to improve it going into the NBA, you know, considering the fact that he will be playing lower competition. Uh, but I definitely applaud him for, for you know, taking that step of faith, especially in our current climate, you know. Um, he's taking that torch and, you know, per se, he's lighting it as opposed to, you know, carrying it. We see four and five star recruits all the time uh, go to these big universities and they'll ride the bench before they go somewhere smaller where they could just be the man from day one. Uh, but, you know, he could change that. And I think it'll also benefit, you know, a star player in basketball has, you know, more of a chance to impact the program than a football player because that one star player is all it takes to, you know, pack out a gym uh, and, you know, bring in more revenue for that school and that community. Uh, so, you know, looking at it from that perspective, I think it's definitely um, a great step. But, you know, I think currently the G League, still poses a bigger threat to the big college programs than HBCUs. Because, I mean, I don't know too many people who's going to pass up a million dollars right out of high school. Uh, but it has been proven that that formula can work. You know, you've had successful NBA players like Willis Reed, uh, Sam Jones, Charles Oakley, uh, Ben Wallace, who all went to HBCUs, and even current guys like Kylo Quinn, and probably more prominently, uh, Robert Covington, who went to TSU, you know, right here in Tennessee. Uh, so, you know, with guys like Mikey Williams, who's already said they're considering this, I think it'll definitely persuade them to, you know, at least heavily consider like, in the HBCU route. Definitely. I know you talked about exposure. And, you know, when it comes to basketball and when it goes to football, exposure is, you know, two completely different things. You know, the number one recruit, college football could go to HBCU and, you know, and it might draw some attention. But I think basketball, you might be able to draw even more attention uh, just on yourself. And, you know, Mikey, Mikey Williams, you know, you talked about him having HBCUs and, you know, in his top, from his top college choices. And I think that's important. But, you know what I'm saying? I think the G League poses, you know, a, a better – it's a better situation for those guys because you're getting NBA coaching and, you you know, you're getting accustomed to – partly accustomed to the NBA lifestyle right away. But by all means, if you want to get the college experience, then, I mean, go to college. You know, a lot of guys – Jason Tatum mentioned that his time at Duke was part of the best time in his life, and Jason Tatum was the one and done. He's only there for nine months, but he said it's on the best time of his life. So, I mean, if, if the college experience is something that's important to you, then by all means go to college. But if you're not really focused on the college experience, then I would say to go to the G League if you can. Yeah, yeah, I'm right on board with you. Like I said – and like you said, also, that exposure is really the biggest thing because at the end of the day, these guys are trying to get to the league. And you know what better way to get it than going somewhere where all eyes are on you. Uh, so I definitely think uh, there's a long way to go on that front. Uh, but uh, the, the gap could definitely be closed just a little bit, I believe. 
Definitely. Yeah. All right, man. So moving on to some NBA talk. So if you were a GM and you're building a championship roster and you need a Robin to the Batman already on the team, which is a number two option, of course, would you take Paul George or Jimmy Butler? Uh, for me, it was easy. And I'm going with Paul George, uh, six foot eight, 220 pounds, you know, six foot 11 wingspan uh, for his career, averaging nearly 20 points, six boards, three assists, almost two steals, shooting 43% from the field, 38% from three, which is, you know, great to elite, and uh, 85% from the free throw line, which is pretty great too. And uh, this season, he's averaging 21, uh, six boards, four assists. Uh, a little bit over one steals and shooting 43% from the field, 40% from three, and 88% from the free throw line. So, you know, Paul George, we know what Paul George is. Paul George is a bucket. Uh, you know, he came pretty close to leading, you know, as a youngin, he came pr pretty close to leading the team to the NBA Finals when he went up against the Miami Heat uh, in 2012 and 2013. He was 22 and 23 years old. So, you know, with the right team around him, he's shown that he could, you know, potentially, well, pre-injury, he showed that he could potentially lead the team to the NBA Finals. Uh, and we look at, you know, his peak peak year, which I would say would be last season. That was his best season by far. He averaged 28 points, seven boards, four assists, led the league in steals, finished top three in MVP and defensive player of the year voting. Uh, he's a six-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA performer, four-time All-Defense, and uh, he's played 76 playoff games. So he's proven and tested. I think he gives you a little more in terms of versatility. I think Jimmy Butler is maybe a better playmaker, but I think Paul George is a, has a more diverse score. And he's a better rebounder. He's a little bigger, so he's a better rebounder. Uh, he may not be as tough as Jimmy Butler, but, you know, I think he gives you, you know, gives you more steals. He creates more turnovers. You know, you know neither guy has shown that they can really lead a team. on Besides Paul, uh, you know, Jimmy Butler really hasn't had the opportunity to, like, you know, completely be his own man and lead his own team except for this year. And we'll see how Miami does in the playoffs. But, you know, we haven't seen Paul George lead a team, you know, far in the playoffs since, you know, 2012, 2013. That was before the injury. Since then, he's pretty much been, you know, for a few years, he was the number one guy on a bad, you know, Indianapolis team. And then he went to OKC with Russ, and he was a second fiddle there. And then he ended up going to the Clippers this year. He's a second fiddle again. I think Paul George is uh, – he's not – if he's your, your best player, I don't think you, you're able to win the championship. I think you can make it to the second round, possibly even the conference finals. But, you know – as a Robin, I think you can win the championship as him as a Robin, depending on who your Batman is. And I think it also depends on, you know, the the mentality of your, your Batman. Because you have some guys that's your number one option, but they're not really leaders. And I, I don't really see Paul George as a leader as well. So I think you have to have a guy as your Batman. He has to be a leader as well. I think that's important. And I think with Jimmy Butler, he's more of a leader. But in terms of his talent and the production, he's more of a Robin. So, but for me, I, I'm going to have to go with PG. Yeah, man, I, I get everything you said, but for this argument, I'm going to go with my guy Jimmy G Buckets, and we know the Gs forget. But, you know, I give PG his credit. You know, he's the better scorer, better shooter. I think one thing with PG, I don't think he gets enough credit for being, you know, one of the best three-point shooters in the league. Like you said, I think over like a seven-year period of his career or something like that, he shot like 38% from three. Uh, so I give him his credit. He's definitely a sniper. And we know what he brings on the defensive end. Like you said, he was an MVP candidate last year. Like, 
I'm a big PG fan, but uh, if I'm a GM, I'm going with Jimmy Buckets. Like I said, uh, I think Jimmy, he's the better shot creator for as big as PG is and for as good of a handle that he has. I definitely don't think he's as good of a shot creator as he should be, especially when you look at his highlights. I mean, most of his shots are coming off screens. That should tell you something. And then Jimmy Butler, once again, while being smaller, he's a better finisher than Paul George. Jimmy G can straight up play bully ball when necessary. And he's definitely – he could get to the free throw line more too because I believe I saw Jimmy gets to the line about nine times a game. Paul George is only four or five. So, you know, take what you will with that. Uh, you mentioned it already. Jimmy's the better playmaker, uh, you know, for the Heat this year, for other teams, 76ers, Timberwolves in the past. He's shown he can play some point guard and, you know, facilitate the offense. And I think in that area alone, he's marginally better uh, than Paul George because, you know, I will say he's probably never had that responsibility. Uh, but – you know, just judging on what we've seen, Jimmy's definitely a better playmaker. And then one thing with Jimmy, he never disappears in the clutch. Paul George on numerous occasions has went AWOL in the clutch. When was that? Was that the year he was with the Thunder and they played? Uh, <laughs> yeah, with the Thunder and they played Utah. PG went two for 16. They let a rookie, Donovan Mitchell, who had coronavirus, knock them out in five games. Not to mention, well, maybe it wasn't five. It was five or six. And then last year, they got bullied by Dame, who knocked them out in five games. Not to mention, hit one of the best series clinching shots we've ever seen right in Paul George's face. Jimmy ain't going to let that happen. And besides the 2018-19 season, when I'm not going to lie, PG was that dude. You know, he was MVP candidate. But outside that year, Jimmy Butler has been the guy who scored more points in the fourth quarter. And then if you want to get technical, Jimmy Butler has the higher PER and he accounts for more win shares. So I think that pretty much tells you everything you need to know. And then ultimately, you brought it up already a little bit, but Jimmy's a straight-up dog. And, you know, being a Bulls fan, I know his backstory. You know, he was homeless as a kid. Uh, he went to Marquette. He didn't have, you know, too many big scholarship offers. Then he went from riding the bench to an all-star in a matter of, like, three or four years. So that same hard work and, you know, mentality – that he brings to the game, he expects the same out of his teammates and nothing less. I mean, we saw what he do in Minnesota. He beat Cat and Andrew Wiggins with the third stringers. And he let them know, like, y'all need me. And, you know, on the outside looking in, you're like, oh, that's problematic, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know any team who wouldn't turn that down. Look what MJ did. He used to physically abuse his teammates, and look what they got him. I mean, even Kobe, you know for yourself, Kobe held his teammates to the highest standard. I don't see Paul George doing that. So if I'm the GM, I'm taking Jimmy Buckets.
Case closed. I mean, hey, listen, you made some interesting and you made some great points. But like I said, bro, give me PG. He a better score. I think they're pretty much equal as a defender. Uh, Jimmy Butler, he's a, he's a better playmaker, I would say. Uh, the assists, you know, especially this year, kind of speak for themselves. But, you know, this year, if you think about this year alone, uh, Jimmy Butler's been a better player this year. Uh, but you got to you gotta bring in consideration Paul George had surgery on both shoulders over the past offseason. And then I was watching, you know, him. He, he was had an episode uh, on All the Smoke podcast with Stephen Jackson and uh, Matt Barnes. And no, no, not All the Smoke. It was uh, the podcast with Quinn Richardson and Darius Miles. And he talked about, yeah, yeah, knuckleheads. And he said, uh, you know, over the course since, since uh, you know, coronavirus has started, they've been, the league has been suspended. He just now has been able to bring his arms all the way over his shoulders. And he's still shooting. 38, 39% from the from three this year. And so, you know, being he hasn't been healthy at all pretty much, and he's had other ailments this year, and he still put up similar numbers to Jimmy Butler, except with the exception of assists. Uh, I mean, Paul George can pass, but, you know, I don't think he's ever been tasked with, uh, you know, being an offense, being a, you know, a shot, a creator for others, put it like that. Uh, I think they know he's a more, he's a scorer. That's what he's a scorer and a defender. That's what he is. And I think, you know, in terms of three point percentage, he's more efficient. Uh, free throw line about equal. Jimmy Butler has the edge in the paint because he shoots more shots in the paint. He's better at the rim, which okay, I, I take, I'll take that. But I think, like I said, it all kind of depends, you know, on what kind of what your Batman is. So if your Batman isn't really much of a, you know, a talker, then Jimmy Butler perfect for you. But if your Batman is a talker, then Paul George, you know, he's perfect for you because they're gonna give you they're they're gonna give you you know similar statistics, uh, maybe a few points off here and there. Um, Paul George may give you a more rebound or two more per game. It'll give you just about the same amount of steals, same amount of blocks. Paul George is like a better shooter. So I think it, you know, for me personally, I go with Paul George. But like I said, I think it all depends on what kind of Batman you have. Yeah, and I mean, going back to the injury thing, I think, you know, that just points again to Jimmy Butler. I mean, he's had maybe a few nicks and bruises here. But other than that, like, dude plays through everything. Like, I've never really heard of him having a major injury, really probably since uh, was that Minnesota. And, you know, he had them as a fourth seed in the West with them. As soon as he got injured, they dropped down to, like, eighth and, you know, like, barely made the playoffs. But that's another thing, you know, with Jimmy, everywhere he goes, they win and the team gets better. You look at Minnesota, they sucked before he got there. They were relevant when he got there. He left, they suck again. Uh, Philadelphia, they couldn't get over the hump. He went there. They were one buzzer beater away, you know, from the Eastern Conference Finals. He left. They got, you know, chemistry issues. They are maybe, I think, what, are they sixth in the East? They're like I barely – Barely hanging on. They don't even have home court advantage right now, even though there is none in the bubble. Uh, and look at Miami. Nobody expected them to do anything this year. He has them right at the top of the Eastern Conference. And you have a few people that are saying they could possibly even beat the Bucs. Uh, looking at PG, on the other hand, you know, outside of Indiana – Thunder, they were already a winning franchise. They didn't really do much more with him on the team. And then the Clippers, they were already a winning franchise also. 
and he, you know, just latched on to Kawhi's tail. Uh, so looking at it, that aspect too, I think Jimmy, Jimmy just has the edge when it comes to intangibles over over Paul George. Whether great to disagree. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think you could go wrong with either guy. We just we got our personal preferences. Yeah. 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 All right, man. So moving to the football side of things, uh, after some pressure from Nike, FedEx, and Pepsi, uh, the Redskins are finally, once again, considering the name change. Uh, so should they do it, Jimmy? And if so, what should the new name be? I think they definitely should do it. I think it's long overdue. Uh, it's offensive to the Native American community. And so I think that's bar none that should be done. It should have been done like years ago. Uh, it's derogatory. Uh, you know, you have a lot of other names you could choose from. I've seen some articles with some names and some names I thought about. You know, you already had the Kansas City Chiefs, so obviously you want to name the Chiefs. You got the Seminoles, uh, the Warriors, Warriors, excuse me. I even heard the Federals, but the name that stuck with me the most was the Washington Red Tails. For those of you who don't know, the Red Tails. Uh, that's the name of uh, it was a in World War II the Tuskegee Airmen. Uh, there was a some military avi- aviators. They were the first African American military military aviators in the U.S. Armed Forces, and their name was called the Red Tail. So, you know, thinking about that, they that would be a, definitely be a nice name. And I, I even saw on Twitter uh, where they show a uniform design, and I even like the uniform design, same colors, just a different design. So I would say the Red Tails, uh, just based off you know African American history. I think that'll be a great gesture, you know, towards the black community. But if you want to keep it, you know, with a Native American name, I would I would say the Seminoles or the Warriors. Okay, history lesson. I hear you. I hear you. But uh, you know, I'm right with you, bro. I think this change was long, long overdue. Uh, the the term Redskins is definitely highly offensive uh, to those of Native American descent. Um, and you know, this has been debated before I think I saw back in 2013 you know Dan Snyder said in all caps like we never changing the name Redskins uh but I think now you know with our current social climate um and the fact that he's feeling pressure from these big major companies I mean you got Nike FedEx and Pepsi like it doesn't really get any bigger than that when it comes to big time companies uh, so, you know, when they're threatening to sever ties with you and Nike, you know, is pulling your merchandise from the shelves, like they pretty much forcing his hand at this point to, you know, make a change. Uh, you know, like I said, this is the issue long before uh, Dan Snyder was even the owner, uh, you know, but it's ultimately with everything. Like we say, it's all about money and financial gains. Uh, and Snyder, you know, as a billionaire, of course, he's going to always think about his money before anything. But one thing about businessmen is they won't make, you know, bad decisions for their business. Um, and, you know, at a time like now, no one really wants to be associated with anything racially offensive. And, you know, like you said, there's the Chiefs. Uh, you got the Seminoles at Florida State. You got the Chicago Blackhawks and hockey. Uh, so there's definitely alternatives they could choose. Uh, but, you know, if I had to pick something, I'm definitely on board with the red tails uh, that you mentioned or even something, you know, that uh, references to the nation's capital 
considering they are in Washington, D.C., I think it's pretty crazy that the nation's capital team has had such a, you know, offensive name as their mascot for so long. And, like, it's just now about to be changed. Because, um, I mean, I think even in the MLB, you know, the Cleveland Indians, I think, are in the process of changing their name and logo, too, which is also, you know, a red Indian. Um, so, you know, if it's not red tails, you know, maybe something like the Capitals, I don't know. It's not as catchy, but, you know, like I said, it references the, the nation's capital. Um, so I definitely think this is long overdue. And probably if not this season, in the next season, it'll probably definitely be changed. And like, not only, like I said, like we both mentioned, it's offensive, but also, you know, I feel like it's money talks. This is a prime example of money talks. Uh, FedEx uh, years ago paid the Washington Redskins $205 million uh, to name their stadium, to be the name of their stadium. And, uh, you know, they told them they wanted them to change the name. And like I said, Nike pulled all the Redskins merchandise. You know, like money talks, and it's a shame that it took, you know, big time sponsors and you know, and potential loss of money to change the name that was racially that was offensive to you know a race of people. So, yeah. all right, right. Well, I think we're definitely both on board with that one. So, moving on to our next topic of discussion, which actually includes a Washington Redskins player, uh, we had three rookie wide receivers in the NFL who balled out last year. Those guys were Washington Redskins receiver Terry McLaurin, uh, Tennessee Titans receiver A.J. Brown, and Seattle Seahawks wide receiver D.K. Metcalf. So, Jimmy, out of those three rookie receivers, who are you starting, who are you benching, and who are you cutting? Well, first of all, I'm just going to tell you, Arthur Juan Brown, A.J., you must start him, my guy. Terry McLaren, I'm a bench you and DK Metcalf. I gotta cut you. I'm sorry. If you listen to this, bro, I'm sorry. Hopefully you can be on the show one. Hopefully, you know, this don't keep you from being on the show one day. But AJ, I gotta I'm finna give you my case for starting AJ. Uh sick. coming out of college, I thought he was the best receiver prospect, you know, that there was. And, you know, he's pretty much proved that he basically is, or it's an argument. He's one of the top two guys you I would say. Like he stands at six foot, 226 pounds. He's built like a running back. Uh, he played all 16 games last year, led all rookies in receiving yards. He had 52 catches for over 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns. He led the NFL in yards per catch and uh, big plays. He had five – he had – excuse me. He had six receptions of over 50 yards. Uh, that's the definition of a, of a big play receiver. And he didn't run the fastest 40 times. And so, you know, it's showing you that, you know, he has – he. Gets a lot of rack yards, you know. He's able to break tackles. He runs good routes. But he had five 100-yard receiving, 100-yard receiving games also, and uh, in, in only five targets a game. So he put up, you know, major statistics and not a lot of targets. And he played with Derrick Henry, Corey Davis, Janu Smith, and Ryan Tannehill. So you know, he had some guys that he had to share touches with, and he produced majorly. And so you know, he led the Titans in receiving as a rookie by over 450 yards. And if you think about his number two receiver, is Corey Davis. Corey Davis is a former top five pick. And so, you know, you got to think about it with his, you know, rack ability, you know, his, you know, route running ability, his toughness, all of that stuff. You know, I think all that combined, it makes him the best receiver in this class. I think that's who I'm going to start uh, definitely. In terms of the bench, you know, Terry McLaren, uh, Scary Terry, he already got a nickname. 
uh, super fast guy. Had nine, had nine, 919 yards in 14 games last year. Uh, he had three 100-yard receiving games. Caught 62% of the passes that went his way. And he didn't have a lot of talent around him. Uh, you know, he had an aging Adrian Peterson. And that quarterback, he had Dwayne Haskins and Case Keenum. I think the Redskins might have had the worst quarterback situation in the league last year. Uh, you know, Dwayne, Dwayne Haskins was a rookie. He, he improved as time went along, but he started off very slowly. And we know Case Keenum is a career, you know, a career backup, a journeyman. So we know what he is. And he led the team. He didn't really have any help in terms of receivers either. He led the team. Uh, the next closest guy only had 365 yards. So, you know, he's pretty much doing it on his own out there. And he played some tough teams last year. So, you know, he – Terry McLean bought up. You know, it could easily that case could easily be made for him to also to for me to start him. Uh, but for the sake of this, I gotta I gotta go AJ as my starter. And uh to cut, I gotta cut DK Metcalf. We know what DK Metcalf is. He's six foot four, 229 pounds, uh, what ran a four three forty. Because he's a physical freak of nature. Nice. Uh, he played <laughs> played in all played in all 16 games last year. He also had 58 catches for 900 yards and seven touchdowns. Uh my thing with him is he dropped a lot of passes. He was top for 10th in passes and dropped passes with five. And uh, we we know that he's not the best route runner, which he improved a lot throughout the season. And it all culminated in the playoff game uh, where he had 160 yards against the Eagles, I believe. And so, you know, he, so he played – as the year got on, he got he got better. He only had one 100-yard receiving game during the regular season. He had two all of, all of last season. But he plays with some great players. You know, he has Russell Wilson. He has Tyler Lockett that's across the field from him. And he has Chris Carson in the backfield. You know, Chris Carson is a tough runner. You know, they got a you know a good decent defense. So you know, I think you know maybe ultimately he could have the best career out of them all because he's playing with Russell Wilson, and he's only going to get better. But for right now, I he I will have to cut him because he's the worst route runner out of the, out of the bunch. Uh, he doesn't have the best. He has the worst hands out of the bunch too in terms of drops and catch percentage. So I'm gonna have to even though he's the most offensively imposing, I'm gonna have to cut DK. Okay. 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 Well, I can say, you know, we both agree that we cut DK Metcalf. Uh, but I feel like for the most part, you know, it was kind of splitting hairs between AJ Brown and Terry McLaurin. Uh, but you know, I gotta roll with my guy, Scary Terry. Like you said, defensive back's worst nightmare. <laughs> I'ma start I'ma start him and I'ma bench AJ Brown. Uh, but Terry McLaurin showed us, like, he, he was the most skilled receiver out of all these guys last year. Uh, we know he can take the top off of defense. His best attribute, of course, is his speed. He ran a 4.35 in the 40 last year. And, you know, not only did that speed show up in the 40, like, it showed up on the field, too. Like, he was burning dudes. They were scared of him. Uh, and, you know, not only is he fast – he catches the ball in traffic, you know, two, three guys around. He's not scared to run over the middle of the field, take a big hit. Uh, I think I, I saw a stat. He was number one in the league in, like, uh, contested catch percentage, and that was out of all receivers, not just rookies. Um, and then also in his arsenal, he can run the full route tree. Like, there isn't a route he can't run. And I think when you look at that combination of talent, with the route running, the contested catches, and the speed. Only the dude I know in the NFL is doing that is Julio Jones. And, like, that's pretty good company to be in. 
Uh, and I think Darius Slay, he even said last year, which he goes up against some good receivers. I think he went up against Allen Robinson, uh, Amari. He He's going up against Devontae Adams twice a year, uh, Stephon Diggs also. But his second toughest cover that he said last year behind Keenan Allen was Terry McLaurin. And I think that says a lot coming considering, you know, Darius Slay is one of the elite corners in the game. Uh, but you have to give Terry credit, you know. We know how dysfunctional of a franchise Washington is. I mean, look at the name mess they're going through right now. Uh, you know, they had a musical chairs at quarterback. You know, you mentioned Case Keenum and Dwayne Haskins. They even had Colt McCoy starting quarterback a few games last year. Like, it was, it was terrible. And the name Colt McCoy speaks for itself, so that should tell you everything. Um, you also brought up, you know, he missed two games with injuries. So, you know, that, of course, affected his numbers a little bit. Um, but looking away from the stats, you know, he you, you talked about how he was all the Redskins had. He accounted for 28% of their receiving yards, which was sixth best behind only Michael Thomas, Cortland Sutton, Allen Robinson, Jarvis Landry, and Devontae Parker. And then he also accounted for 40% of their passing touchdowns. Like, I believe their, their quarterbacks combined only threw, like, 18 passing touchdowns last year. Like, it was awful. Uh, and I even looked up for fun, you know, to get at you a little bit. We know how bad Amari Cooper is in away games as a receiver. And, you know, he's a $100 million man now. But in eight away games, <laughs> this is laughable. Amari Cooper had 320 reception yards. Terry McLaurin, as a rookie with YMCA dudes at quarterback, had 368 in only six. Those two games he missed with injuries just so happened to both be away games. And if you take away one of those games and only count five, he still had more away receiving yards than Amari Cooper. Like, that was crazy. Uh, but enough bashing Amari Cooper. Uh, <laughs> moving now to A.J. Brown. Uh, you know, statistically, he was the best rookie receiver last year. You know, he was able to put up 1,000 yards despite playing with Derrick Henry. You know, we know what he brings to the table uh, as a bell cow running back. Um, and then also, he wasn't even a full-time starter until, like, week nine against the Panthers last year. Um, but looking at his stats from week nine to 17, he had 30 catches for 703 yards and five touchdowns. If he did that over a full 16-game season, he would have had 1,400 reception yards on only 60 receptions. Like, that's crazy. Uh, but, you know, that just speaks to his explosiveness. And, you know, he's a threat to go to the house every time he touches the ball. And I think that was evident by the fact that he was second in the league in yards per catch. Uh, but he already showed, you know, he's the big dog in Nashville over Corey Davis, who's been such a disappointment. Uh, <laughs> just pitiful. Uh, but he's that rare combination of speed and physicality. Uh, that you look for in a receiver. And then not only that, but the Titans also play to his strengths. Uh, you know, using him on crossing routes and things like that 
to hit him in stride. And, you know, that really allowed him to showcase his uh, ability to blow by defenders. And he's also a good run blocker, um, which you have to be to play with Derrick Henry. <laughs> uh, and to get <laughs> to why I could DK Metcalf, for one, I want to be known, like, dude was so disrespected coming out of the draft last year. I remember before he even played a down in the NFL, like, people were already like, oh, he's a bust. He's just a muscle head. Like, I know we all remember the pictures of him with no shirt on. Like, dude was ripped, uh, you know. But he proved everybody wrong, and I think we saw that with his 900 reception yards and seven touchdowns. Uh, and unlike A.J. Brown, he also showed that he can show up when it matters in the playoffs. Uh, he had, like, 219 receiving yards uh, in their two playoff games, including I think he had the game-winning – or not game-winning, but game-sealing catch, like, on third down in the wild-card game against the Eagles. Um, but he, he proved that he could do more than go routes. Uh, you know, he runs double double move routes really well, you know, stopping goes, things of that nature. Uh, and a knock on him was also his ability to separate at the line of scrimmage uh, and he showed us even as a 49ers fan twice a year he was cooking the Kello with the spoon so I definitely don't doubt his ability to separate the line of scrimmage uh, but I think one thing we have to look at when judging him he definitely benefited from playing with Russell Wilson who is the second best quarterback in the NFL by the way in case you were wondering um, but he could have had more production you know if Tyler Lockett wasn't already the number one receiver there. And then also you have to remember, for some odd reason, the Seahawks still are a run-heavy offense despite the fact that they have Russell Wilson as quarterback. Like, that's still crazy to me. Uh, but like you brought up, his biggest areas of weakness are, like you said, his drops. I believe you said he was, what, tied for 10th in drops uh, last year. He also lost three fumbles which I believe was like the second most among all NFL receivers. Uh, so if he can just, you know, strengthen those hands and get some stronger hands, you already talked about how much of a physical specimen he is. Like, for all we know, he could be the next Megatron. <laughs> you know, like right now, you know, I think DK Metcalf, he's – if you want to throw a jump ball, I think he's the worst out of the three in terms of jump balls But you saw – in the playoff game, how how much better he got over the course of the season. I think that all started in the offseason with him working with Russell Wilson. I'm pretty I saw some videos. I don't know about you, but I saw some videos of those guys working out. So, you know, he's already proven that he can put the work in and improve, you know, mid season. You know, AJ Brown, you know, being in Nash, you know, being in Murfreesboro, you know, I heard a lot about AJ Brown. And you know, he bought out, he was more than what people expected him to be in year one. I expected him to ball out year one. That's exactly what it did. And I didn't really know much about Terry McLaren. But he burst onto the scene, and he opened my eyes, you know, a lot. <laughs> he opened my eyes a lot. I actually had him on my fantasy team, and he balled out for me on my fantasy team. So I definitely appreciate that. But, you know, with, with the bench and the starting thing, you know, you, can, you can't go wrong with either guy, with AJ or Terry. This just all depends on what you have surrounding you and, you know, what type of offense you have. Because I think if you want more explosive plays, then you want AJ Brown. Uh, but if you want, you know, more precise routes, uh, 13, 14 yards to catch, then you got Terry McLaren. So, you know, it's all depending upon your preference and your scheme. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I completely agree with you, bro. And I be trying to tell y'all, them Ohio State boys different. Y'all saw how underrated Michael Thomas was, and look what he doing now. Easily top three receiver in the league. Terry McLaurin might just be the next Michael Thomas. Guess we going to find out. Oh. oh. <laughs> you said you don't know about that one. <laughs> look, hey, I brought up the stats that made me get back on Amari Cooper. <laughs> but I don't do that. If you want to remain friends, I do that. <laughs> I, I've already told you my, I've already told you my disdain for that contract, and they, I, I did not <laughs> pay that man a hundred million dollars. I was so upset. Paid him a hundred million dollars just to go draft another first round receiver. I trade him. I, I right now, right now, I, I don't care. Dallas Cowboys fans be mad. Uh, my dad, I know you're gonna see this. Hey, listen, I would trade Amari Cooper for AJ Brown or Terry McLaren right now. That's Matter of fact. Matter of fact, I might go do it on Madden when we get done. <laughs> like, you ain't nah. got it, bro. That's disrespectful. That's nah. our hundred million dollar man, bro. Like we, they paid this man a hundred million dollars to, to not play away games essentially. Man, I think I saw. Was it the game against the Jets or the Patriots last year? He had like zero receiving yards. Probably the Patriots. I was like, what they do? Just stand on the sideline. And even like I was watching Terry McLaren highlights today. Even when they played New England, even he was making plays against Stephon Gilmore. Come on, bro, he like, was Amari. cooking Stephon Gilmore. Come on, bro. Like Amari, Amari been in the league like four or five years now. Like, come on, bro. That you can't not show up, bro. I know he was a little injured, but come on, bro. You gotta have at least one reception, my guy. Like Terry McLaren. Come on, bro. Terry McLaren, a rookie, and like it ain't like Amari Cooper slow. Amari Cooper got that speed. We we saw oh, against yeah. the when he plays the Eagles, you see the separation because he loved it playing against the Eagles. But the Eagles I don't know. terrible. Hey Jerry, if you happen to watch this, listen to <laughs> listen to me, man. Trade Amari Cooper, get Terry McLaren. You didn't pay him much guaranteed money. He didn't get a lot of guaranteed money. Uh, eat that, you know what I'm saying? Trade for AJ Brown and Terry McLaren. You it, it'll work in the long run. Pair them with CD Lamb, and Michael Gallup, and there you go. You got the best group of receivers in the league. I so hate to see you. <laughs> but hey man, you you got anything else you wanna add in? <laughs> uh Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Always, always. Well, you know, we appreciate y'all as always for rocking with us and tuning in. Uh be sure to, you know, join our Facebook group on Facebook. Uh follow us on Twitter at first and foremost eight. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at first underscore and underscore foremost underscore. You did. <laughs> and I think, is that all? Yeah, that's all our social media handles. Yep. And uh, we'll also be dropping a YouTube uh, channel here soon. Uh, so be be sure to be on the lookout for that also. Uh, but, you know, episode 16 in the books, I am the one and only Quentin Douglas. <laughs> and I'm Jimmy Covington. We out. All right. Thank y'all.